0: Eighty years ago this week, 7.55 a.m., a a dive bomber broke through the clouds over the island of Oahu. 360 warplanes followed behind, and we found December 7th, 1941, as the day President Roosevelt declared, we'll live in infamy as the Empire of Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. It was a day that thrust us into World War II. It is a day that uh, many uh, still look back and and look at the horror of that tragedy and the ultimate plunging into World War II with over 400,000 American deaths and casualties. As, as we think about war and we think about battles, that is not a foreign theme to us in the, as we seek to live the Christian life. We recognize that every day we are in a battle. The world wants to bring us to a place of compromise, and the evil one seeks to conquer, to steal, to kill, and destroy us. And so we have to understand we are in a spiritual battle. But as we think about the spiritual battle that we are in, instead of calling in following the world in its call to compromise, God wants to call us to holiness and to shine as a light in a dark world. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter five. And believe it or not, for those of you who have been along the journey for the last few months, we are coming to the end of First Thessalonians today. First Thessalonians chapter five, and we're going to pick up in verse number twenty-three. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth in it. Help us to be people who live for you, shine for you, and look for you as we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus. God, speak to us through this word today. Move in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. As we think about the book of First Thessalonians, it really is, and you could put the theme as, we live in the present, but we look for the future. We live in the present. There is a present task and witness that we are to be about. There is a present warfare that we find ourselves in that we are uh, waging to live for Jesus. But we are also looking for the future. Because as I've said many times over the last few weeks and months, that the book of First Thessalonians is the only book in the Bible that emphasizes the coming of Jesus in every single chapter. If you have your Bible open, slide back with me to chapter 1 in verse number 10. It tells us in First in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 that we're waiting for his son from heaven. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for him to come, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Notice over in chapter 2 in verse number 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Slide over to chapter three and verse number 13 so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Notice over in chapter 4 in verse number 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a voice, with the shout of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we see in chapter 5 in verse number 23 that we would be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have our gaze set and we are looking for Jesus to come, it does something in us that says I should not only be looking for His coming, but I should be living for His coming. I am anticipating that it could be at any time, and so I want to be ready. That's the call. Now, as we think of of Paul as he brings this plane down in for a landing, and he shares his last words with the church at at uh, Thessalonica in this first letter, he is. Is going to write a second letter. Lord willing, we'll jump into that probably halfway through next year or so. But but as we think about uh, as we think about Paul as he brings this down, he wants God to work in the hearts and lives of his people that they may be sanctified. He does not want people. to To say yes to Jesus and then compromise with the world and be dominated by the devil. Instead, he wants us to recognize who we are in Christ and what the Lord has called us to so that we will not only look for his coming, but that we will live For his coming. And he uses a key biblical word here that we're going to try to unpack for a few minutes today, where he talks about the Lord sanctifying you. Notice back with me in verse number 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God wants us to live a sanctified life, not a sinful life life. If you could summarize Paul's last thought to this church, God wants us to live a sanctified life, not a sinful life. So I want us to think about this word sanctification for a few moments. And as we do, we're going to think about God's call and God's work in our life. First off, let's think about the meaning of sanctification. What what exactly is this? It's a big Bible word and it sounds kind of confusing. So let's think about the definition of sanctification. The word sanctification means to be set apart from the world and to be set apart to God and his use. So that we are set apart from the world And we are set apart to God for his use. Now, it's not just about being set apart from the world. It is about being set apart to God for his use. See, there are people in our state today, in the state of Missouri, who live set apart from the world. You know who I'm talking about? People who live off the grid. You know what living off the grid means that 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 you are not involved in any kind of public utilities of gas electric water you're out there living life on your own, often you know no internet, no gas, no electric no no uh, water unless you dig your own well, no electric unless you have uh, your own solar panels or or some way you know you can ride a bicycle like Gilligan did and uh, you know and get some electric charge going uh, the, the the picture is is that that for us today there are people who are trying to separate from the world but the issue is not just being separated from the world it is being set apart to god for his distinct use, for a use that God has for you, that God has called us as believers not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed, we're to be set apart and living for him in such a way that people can see the difference that the Lord Jesus has made in our life. Let's think about it this way. Julie and I have been married for 28 and a half years and we dated for a year before we got married. During that time, she's had many different dresses. Okay? Uh... We we had, when we were young, one of these formal affairs. So she had a a formal that she wore. She has bought dresses and said, hey, this is going to be, this is what I'm going to wear for Easter to church. And uh, you remember just a few years ago, we used to dress up a little bit more as we came to church. This would be a dress I would wear to church. And then she would find just a little cute cottony throw on dress and she say this would be perfect for me to wear to the muni you know or something like that okay so so she she comes and she sells me on all of these different dresses that that she needs okay so she's got all of these dresses but there was one dress that has been distinct unique set apart worn one time and that was her wedding dress Now, as we think about our life, God has set us apart for a distinct, unique purpose. Just like that wedding dress is set apart from all of the other dresses, God sets us apart to him to be used in a unique and distinct way of living our life so that the Lord Jesus will shine through us, So we are set apart from the world and we are set apart to God for his use. Now, as we think about sanctification in a general term, we are all set apart at that moment of salvation. If you know the Lord Jesus, then you've been set apart. And now the Lord calls us to live a distinct, unique life him let's think about then not only the definition of sanctification but let's think about the elements of sanctification because as we think about sanctification and and this prayer or this plea that paul has now may the may the god of peace himself sanctify you we we think about that in three different realms first off the elements of sanctification first off i think about my present standing in christ that i at that moment of salvation have been set apart that second corinthians 5:17 tells me that if i am in christ i am a new creation the old things are passed away and behold all things have become New. I have been set apart. At that moment of salvation, there is a change in my life and a change in my standing with God. I have peace with God because Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin. I am adopted into God's family. As many as believed in him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I am justified before God. Romans 5 1 tells me, therefore being justified by faith, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have a complete, special, unique new standing before the Lord at that moment of salvation so my present status is that i have been set apart because i have been saved over in the book of hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 14 it tells us that christ offered himself once so that he would sanctify those of us who know him completely and forever So the picture of our life is because I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. But not only is our present standing involved, but there is an experiential progress in Christ. Okay. Now this is where, where we as believers really come to this place of, of thinking sanctification. Sanctification gives the picture of me being set apart to Christ, but, or to God. But what is God trying to do in my life? Romans 8, 29 tells me, this is what God's goal is in sanctification. He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants you to to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now this, at that moment of salvation, we have a new standing with God. But there is a progressive element of growth in our salvation. So that hopefully, as you look at your spiritual life now, you can look back and say, I wasn't where I was 20 years ago. God has spiritually matured me and made me more like Jesus in the last 20 years. And hopefully next week and next month and next year, you can say, yes, every day with Jesus has been not only sweeter than the day before, but every day with Jesus, I've grown closer to him in my progressive experience of sanctification. I am acting more and and my life and my heart reflect Jesus more. This is our experience of growth. So that the moment of salvation, it's not like, all right, you're saved. You're done. Good job. You're going to go to heaven. No, the moment of salvation, our spiritual life really just begins. That's the exciting part of our life. We are a new creation and now God begins to work on us and he begins to mold us and shape us and bring us through trials and and allow us to hear Bible study and teaching and he then works through another issue. We have to climb a mountain. We have to walk through a valley and all during this time, God is rubbing off rough edges of our life. God is doing spiritual heart surgery in our life. Bill Gaither years ago wrote a children's song that said, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. That's the picture. That's the picture of sanctification. God is working on me and in me to shape and mold my heart and life to look more like Jesus. But there is a danger with this. Our experiential progress is not a checklist. It is a heart situation. Many of you grew up in church like I did. And and you had on your envelope a checklist that you grew up with, all right? That had Sunday school attendance, Bible brought, uh, whether you studied your lesson, whether you were giving, staying for worship, and there was check, check, check. Check, check, check. Listen, can I tell you? You can check religious boxes all day long and it not affect your heart. God is interested in working on the inside of your life. He's working not on you to check off boxes to feel like you're spiritual. God is interested in working on your heart so that you are becoming more like Jesus. So our progress in Christ is part of this sanctification. But then we find our future Guarantee As we think about our, our future guarantee in Christ, we slide back to a passage like uh, the book of, of Philippians chapter three and verse number 20. Philippians 320 gives us the hope because i've been set apart by god because uh at at salvation and god's been showing that my salvation is genuine because he's been working in me to conform me to the image of christ this is what the lord says in philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 through the mouthpiece of Paul: for our citizenship is in heaven This is not just future. Paul is saying right now, believers, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen what it says. Who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. What Paul is saying here is... Your sanctification process is going to become a glorification process. When the Lord takes you to heaven and he transforms this body into what he desires for us to be and set apart looking like the image of his son. So sanctification does involve that moment of salvation. We would say that could be our justification. And it does involve that growth in our life of sanctification. And it ultimately is going to involve that moment when we come to know the Lord and see him personally. When we're in heaven. See, we're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort over the next few weeks thinking about the first coming of Jesus. I want to remind you, the best is yet to come. His second coming. For us as believers, the culmination of everything is yet to come, when the Lord transforms us. John tells us that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. The meaning of sanctification. Secondly, let's think about the God of sanctification. Now, notice what it says back in verse number uh, back number in verse number twenty-three. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctification, I told you it's not checking boxes. Sanctification is not about human achievement. Now, there is an effort that we put forth to study our Bible, to grow in the Lord, but God has to do the work. Notice, he didn't say, may God give you some energy so that you can sanctify yourself. No, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now notice what it says, may the God of peace himself. This is a God work in our life. We find that God takes personal interest in us, that God is the source of sanctification. Can I tell you today I don't know what you're going through, what you're facing, but God is interested in your personal life. God is interested in your personal growth. God has sent his Holy Spirit so that you could, can be conformed to look more like Jesus and shine more like Jesus and witness more like Jesus. But it's not a matter of you pulling yourselves up by your own spiritual bootstraps. It comes to a place of saying, Lord, I want to be obedient. I'm going to be in your word. I want to walk with you, live with you, uh, uh, follow you. But God, it is all about you working in me. God is the source. May the God of peace himself, God working in you. Now, this is amazing. The God of the universe who created billions of stars. The God of the universe who knows all of the six plus billion people in this world. The God of the universe who knows the numbers of Grains of sand on the seashore. He even knows the numbers of hairs on our head. He cares about your spiritual walk. He cares. He wants you to grow. In our world today, we often think, That money, popularity, fame, all of these things, the approval of man is really what we long for. And yet God longs for you to look more like Jesus. And he's so interested in that, that he would invest his own life, work, and personal energy every day so that you could be conformed to look like Jesus. May the God of peace himself, now notice he is not just the God of peace, or he's not, it's not just God's personal work, but it's God, the God of peace, who is at work. The God of peace. Some of you are restless today. Can I tell you there is a God of peace? He has brought peace into our life, Matter of fact, it tells us that once we were enemies of God, once we were without hope, once we were in darkness, but through Jesus, now we experience peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, so that the war is over, the separation is gone. But God works in our life now through the circumstances and through our salvation to bring us peace. God's the source of sanctification. But notice in verse number 24, because you can't miss this either. God is not only the source of sanctification, but God is faithful in sanctification. He says, he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. God wants to work in your life, your spirit, your soul, your body. We, we think of man being material and immaterial. And God wants to so work and to shape our heart and life so that we are prepared for the coming of Jesus that he says, I am going to be faithful to stay with it. Have you had days when you just lost it? You just blew it? Spiritually, you felt like you were far off or maybe sinfully, you got far off. Can I tell you? There may be people who have given up on you. God will not. God is faithful. He is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the seventy times seven chances. He is faithful. He keeps his word 100% of the time, no matter what the circumstances and situation. And God is absolutely faithful to work in our life through sanctification. That means if I get off and I'm doing my own thing, that God is going to send conviction through the Holy Spirit to work in my life and to draw me back. That God may, may make me uncomfortable. That God may place just difficulty in my life. I will not experience the fullness of joy and peace and love if I don't have God working in my life. And sometimes people just learn to live in their discomfort and they continue on their path away from God. But God says, I am faithful. I'm not giving up on you. Some of you may feel like, man, I blew it. I mean, I'm in church today, but down deep in my heart, I just blew it. Could God ever use me, love me, like me, take me back, use me again? God is faithful. Some of you are praying for children who somewhere along the line, you know that they have a relationship with Jesus, but they've gotten off. They've gotten away from the Lord. God is faithful. Maybe some of you during this Christmas time just need to cry out to the faithful God and say, Lord, Lord, draw him back. Draw him back. Draw them back. God, you are faithful. Many have just thought, man, that, that person is a. They, they, they say they know Jesus. They have walked with Jesus. They, I, I've seen him work for Jesus. I've seen him do stuff. And now I just can't believe if they truly know Jesus, God will not give up on them. Now, in the same light, I have to say that God doesn't necessarily discipline the devil's kids. And so there are some who have walked aisles. There are some who have made a profession. And at the end of Second Peter, he would give the picture that those who who didn't really have a change in nature, they they go back to living like they used to live. He gives the picture of a of of a of a pig that that uh, goes back to to living in the in the pig slop. There are some who maybe out of emotion or some out of uh, uh, a sense of everybody else is doing it have made a profession and it wasn't real. But I want to tell you today, for those who know Jesus, God is faithful. And for those children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and friends who have gotten away from the Lord, the Bible tells us right here, God is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. So... Sanctification means that we're set apart from the world. We're set apart to God for his use. That involves my present standing. It involves my experience. It involves me ultimately being with the Lord. And God is not ever going to quit. From the moment of salvation when I said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I've never had to take a step alone. I've not taken every step in the right direction. But God has never quit on me and God's not going to quit on you God is faithful Thirdly, let's think about these last verses and final challenges to the sanctified. He gives us this picture that he wants God to sanctify them. And then he lays out these final challenges right at the end. He says, first, brethren, pray for us. Pray for one another. These are the final challenges. Pray for one another. As we think of Paul crying out in a sense of humility, in a sense of dependence upon the Lord, he says, brethren, pray for us. Pray for me. I need it. Now, this is the guy who had a personal experience with Jesus Christ, who met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus, who quite possibly was tutored personally by Jesus during his time in the desert. And we find him crying out, pray for us. And if Paul needs it, we need it. Pray for one another. Then he gives us that challenge that we're not only to pray for one another, but that we're to, as holy brethren, greet one another with a holy kiss. I I think the word there could be encourage each other, encourage one another. But we, we know that, and you still see this today, and you go into to some cultures and customs that they would greet each other with a kiss. It was a sign of affection and acceptance and unity and encouragement and you're part of the family and we're all in this together and, and we care about each other. And there there's the kiss. This is why the kiss of Judas was was so dastardly when he was in the garden. He says, I want you to accept and stand alongside and encourage one another. And then notice what happens. Paul changes his theme as we step into verse number 27. He says, and these are both imperatives, brethren, pray for us and greet the brethren with a holy kiss. But then verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read To all the holy brethren, grow in the word with one another. But notice, Paul changes. He's giving imperatives. But he really calls the imperative here to a higher and greater challenge. He lays it out as he says, brethren... Make sure this book is read. We need to grow together in our spiritual life. Spiritually, we're growing with one another along the way. Now, the emphasis that Paul places as he writes, I charge you, is really calling them under a solemn oath. I want you to promise me. Again, brethren, pray for us. Do it. Greet one another. Do it. But I want you to promise with all of my heart, I'm telling you that this epistle needs to be read. Why did Paul, why was Paul so adamant? Because his letter to the Thessalonians was inspired by God. Because it was important for their spiritual life and their spiritual growth. And and don't we think about God's word today? That God's word is like spiritual food. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, when tempted, would say, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Just as bread would nourish our physical, then the word nourishes our spiritual life. Isn't it that true that Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing? That we are not going to have a growing faith without the word of God? Isn't it true that Paul tells us in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What's the renewing of our mind? It's a mind that is renewed in God's word. There is power in the Bible. There is power in God's word. And oh, how blessed we are that we have it today. And I charge you solemnly. Read the word. Grow in the word. Your spiritual life depends upon it. And then finally, we're to show grace to one another. Notice what he says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Live in the Lord's grace with one another and I can think of no better final word for a message and I can think of no final better word for us today. Live in grace. Live in grace. There are people that have different ideas than you as you walk through this time of of still COVID lingering. Can I tell you, live in grace. There are people that, that uh, may act and, and walk and, and in their, and their work and following Christ may do things a little bit different than you. Can I tell you today, God's not called everybody to be you. Live in grace. Those who have experienced grace are to extend grace. And if you've extended, or if you have received God's mercy, kindness, favor, even times when you didn't deserve it, if the Lord's tender mercies and loving kindness have poured out upon your life at different times and in different ways, he says, go live that way for others don't be snarky critical have to have the final word full of anger let your life be marked by grace and this is what we find john newton wrote twas grace that brought us safe this far and grace will lead us home. Jesus is coming. And out of his grace and mercy, he's going to take us to be with him if we're alive, resurrect our body to be with him if we have passed. This is what we find. He did it because of grace, not because we deserved it. So go be a gracious person. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And how you have just, again, just challenged me this week to live a life that's different, set apart to you for your work, for your use. God, you have taken each one of these people and shaped them, gifted them, allowed different experiences in their life, all uniquely. And God, you're faithful. Lord, help us to grow, to have a heart that's more like Jesus's heart. And may we shine as light in a dark world. And Father, for those who feel like they've gone too far, they've crossed a a barrier in their mind that think uh, you've given up. Lord, would you remind them today that you're faithful? Would they find grace and comfort in knowing that you're faithful? Would they find hope in knowing that because we're still here, you still have given us life, that you still have a plan for us? And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray their heart would be opened in your name. Amen.